Super Talk Mississippi media production. Find your new ride at Kia McCombs all-new location at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Come find out why McComb loves Kia McComb at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Right on the corner, right on the price. Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbard, along with Rhino in the Element Well Studio, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this hump day and a rather warm one out there, my friend. It was uh, sultry just walking a few steps here into the uh, studio, but uh, it is in fact. August. It's that spicy air. (laughs) That's right. It is typically oppressive in August, is it not? Usually. (laughs) In Mississippi. You don't usually have a seven or an eight in front of the number. That's true. So, even out there in California, where they're trying to go all green, you know, they're saying, hmm, we're having to rely on these fossil fuels (laughs) to deal with the... the, um, the demand for electricity amid the ongoing heat wave. In fact, today we're going to discuss the heat which has blanketed the Magnolia State with none other than Mr. Haley Fisackerly, President and CEO of Intergy Mississippi. That'll be at 1220. But before that, we've got Dane Maxwell coming on at 1037. He, of course, is the Public Service Commissioner for the Southern District of Mississippi. We had his opponent, Mr. Wayne Carr, on the program Monday. So Mr. Maxwell will call in and tell us about his campaign and his plans as he seeks re-election to the Office of Public Service Commissioner for the Southern District. I appreciate Dave filling in uh, for me yesterday attended uh, an intimate luncheon for the governor of the great state of Mississippi, Governor Tate Reeves, raising a little money there at lunch. One thing you'll have to say about the governor, he's a prolific fundraiser, is he not? All you got to do is look at his reports. He laps the field in that category. He ain't afraid of asking people for money. And guess what? When you run in political campaigns, you need money. You agree with that? You got to have some money. Oh yeah. I'm hearing that the candidates for lieutenant governor at least have purchased more airtime here at Super Top Mississippi, and I think that uh, will consume much of the commercial space 
here on Super Talk. I'm sure we'll hear those at the break today because we are inside one week. One week from less than a week, we go to the poll. What are you laughing at? We go to and the, the poll. people said amen. Amen for sure on that. Now, here in central Mississippi, there are a number of political events that are kind of harken back to the days when candidates just went to the stage, got to the mic, and addressed the folks. That, of course, occurs at the Neshoba County Fair, where we were broadcasting last week, once a year. That happened last week. But today, in Madison County, my home county of Madison, there's a monthly event that's held at Mama Hamels, which is uh, known for its home-cooked vittles buffet. Those of you in the area are well familiar with that. It's on Highway 51, just uh, between Madison and Ridgeland there. And so there's an event scheduled, as there has been now. Bruce Bartley is kind of the orchestrator, the organizer of that event. Mama Hamels has a big back room. And so scheduled to speak today, candidates for lieutenant governor, Delbert Hoseman, the incumbent, and the challenger, Senator Chris McDaniel, followed by, well, I'm not sure of the order, honestly. I'm just looking at the way the, the, the teaser via text was distributed. Mississippi's senators, both Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith and Senator Roger Wicker, will also address the attendees. And it's usually standing room only when we get close to election. And then there's an event that occurs the first Saturday of every month. Been going on a long time. Our good friend Earl Dean Rhodes again and Sheriff Brian Bailey of Rankin County, they're the organizers of that one. That will occur this coming Saturday and they are well attended. So we're talking about events that have like 150 people during an election season. And it's 70 to 80 to 100 could be even in the um, the off years. But with the election coming up, you can expect record crowds today in Madison. And then this coming Saturday in Rankin County, that'll be at McLean's uh, out in Rankin County. And once again, the candidates will address, as typically Mr. Rhodes allows them to do. They'll get on the docket and address the, the crowd in attendance. These are people who were very engaged politically really pay a lot of attention to politics. They're very active politically, and they will be on the receiving side of those remarks. They're, they're very friendly about allowing candidates of all stripes, all parties, all races, to the extent practicable, to speak. Last night, Antioch is another venue. That's in Rankin County. It would be on the, on the northern, pardon me, the southern side, the southern side of I-20, Highway 43, a few miles out there. Beautiful landscape in Rankin County. And there was an event last night 
I attended. I got to tell you, folks, I bet three to 400 people show up just eyeballing it somewhere in that, that vicinity. And great barbecue was, uh, was had by the attendees, available at least. And candidates spoke. We had the, the governor spoke a bit. Both candidates for lieutenant governor as Republicans, Delbert Hoseman, Chris McDaniel, spoke. Uh, and then, of course, there are a number of candidates running for House and Senate in Rankin County also spoke. And many local candidates spoke as well. Candidates for local office, tax assessor, be county office, and, and uh, tax collector, supervisor as well. So... It's campaign season here in Mississippi, but as you said, one week remaining, less than one week, inside one week. And you're seeing lots of activity on social media, are you not, from the candidates and their surrogates and supporters. They're pretty active as well. But it's fun for those of us who are political junkies and I guess in the business of analyzing politics. There's plenty of content with which to work uh, at a minimum. No doubt about that. On the national scene, the big news is Donald Trump is indicted. He told us he was expecting this to come down. This particular indictment and the charges therein concern the election of 2020. Specifically, the federal charges against the former president, conspiracy to defraud the U.S., conspiracy conspiracy to obstruct official proceeding, obstruction of official proceeding, and conspiracy against rights. Now, I got to tell you, maybe the weakest of the indictments against him. Yeah. I mean, so just so you'll know, what that essentially means is that he was pushing to overturn the election, and in doing so, he is infringing on the rights of voters. That's basically what they're saying. Well, you know, I'm not a big fan of the way the president has handled that election in terms of just dwelling on it, and I think really pushing, encouraging Vice President Mike Pence to not accept the results. And I mean, there are a number of other actions as well. But whether or not that rises to the level of these federal charges, especially if he just says, look, I think the election was rigged and it was stolen from me, well, that's his prerogative. That's his right to free speech, in my view. This is dangerous. It's it's a slippery slope. I think they're going to have to stretch it. Now, here's a concern, and we'll talk about this on the other side, and that's where this trial is scheduled to occur and the judge who will preside. We're taking a break here in the Element Well studio. We're coming right back with more Dane Maxwell, PSC commissioner, public services commissioner, I should say. We'll be on at 1037. He, of course, is the Southern District Commissioner. Haley Fasakalier of Entergy at 1220. Gerard Gibbert. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. Inside a journey record jacket from the 1980s. Gerard Gibbert. Super Talk Mississippi. 
Welcome back, everyone. It's Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We are so pleased you joined us today. So, I believe the Journey Frontiers album, it was released in February 83, which is a great one, but it's the Escape album was released July 17th, 1981. Two biggies. All right, so we were talking about these federal charges against Donald Trump. And the judge is kind of an interesting deal. The judge, it appears, is really a tough January 6th sentencer, has a history with the president. Tanya Chutkin is the name of the judge that will be presiding over this new criminal case against the president in D.C. So, honestly, if I were a betting man right now, I'd say she's gonna, he's going to lose in that venue. And she's going to sentence him to jail. This guy could be running a campaign from jail. I know that sounds crazy. But when you look at the history of this judge... You think about the venue of the trial, the complete disdain, contempt for Donald Trump. Like in that district, he got like 2% or something insane like that. So this is an Obama-appointed judge. I just believe, I don't agree with it. I'm not saying I agree with it. I'm just predicting the outcome here. Now, this is crazy. Now, he is scheduled to appear before the judge tomorrow. She's licking her chops. She cannot wait. There's no doubt. So she was born in Jamaica, came to this country for college as a teenager, attended George Washington University Law School at the University of Pennsylvania, spent more than a decade as a public defender in D.C., and then worked for a big law firm up there, was confirmed as a federal judge trial judge in 2014. And she has sentenced some of those involved in the entry of the Capitol on January 6th. She seems to have a kind of a bone to pick there with uh, those involved in that. So, uh, you know, can you get a fair trial, honestly? Can Donald Trump get a fair trial in Washington, D.C.? Unlikely. Yeah, I'd submit he can't. Now, I still think, again, what Trump's behavior is certainly open for criticism. But there's a difference in criticism and pressing charges. Yeah, and it breaking the law. And I still maintain, you know, the great thing about this country that we have to keep in mind, and this is what aggravates me about all this disinformation stuff. Or just this this um, offensive speech and crap like that. Is that the beauty of the First Amendment, the vision of the founders is, you can say dumb stuff. You can say stuff that's, that's even incorrect, provided you're not under oath. Or you're not testifying to Congress. Or if you say things that 
that harm other people, that possibly, your speech possibly could rise to a level of, well, you can't really do that. But if you just run around saying the election was stolen from me, you have the right to do that. But hell, in our society today, if you call somebody by the wrong pronoun, they'll string you up. No, you don't have the right to be called by some fabricated pronoun. I just wonder where all this uh, vigor was for the Democrats in 2016, or heck, even earlier, during both of Bush's elections, where they were up in arms and not my president. I mean, it was a whole freaking hashtag in 2016. So true. And you had politicians with a D by their name that were doing the same exact crap. The, the election was stolen. It was Russian interference. That's true. Where are their charges? It's I if mean, it's the, good for the goose. It's good for the gander. And that's what's pissing people off about all this, is they go after Trump in one of the weakest indictments that looks like it's infringing on his First Amendment rights, all while you have Democrats for years now pulling the same stunt, saying the same things, not even getting a slap on the wrist. They don't even get a second glance. The double standard is so glaring, so obvious, so in the sunshine. I completely agree, and that is what aggravates people. Of course, the left will tell you that it just doesn't rise to that level, right? Well, it's just, just wrong. It does. And, heck, when Donald Trump was elected, there were many in Congress, like Adam Schiff, for example. It's like they were consumed with it. That's the only thing they did was try to connect Rush, uh, Russia to Trump, Trump to Russia, and uh, completely and totally obsessed with this concept of Russian interference in the 16 election, which is what propelled Trump to office as president. It's just false. Zero evidence of that at the end of the day. We spent a bunch of time and money. Oh, but they arrested four Russians that made a Facebook group. <laughs> that nobody knew anything about. Right. <laughs> so, But you got somebody like Hillary Clinton that's been running around since the day she lost, claiming it was taken from her, claiming true. it was illegitimate, saying Trump was an illegitimate president, claiming Russian interference. Where are her charges? Yeah. Because she's just as full of it as Trump is. <laughs> now, speaking of her, this is crazy, folks. There's a recent New York Times-Siena College poll just released yesterday found that 26% of Democratic primary voters would feel enthusiastic if Harris were the nominee for the party as opposed to Biden. 26% enthousi- enthusiastic compared with 20% who said that about Biden, which means neither one of them scores very high in terms of their their preference as the nominee for president. I, well, sure. It's hard to get enthused about a walking corpse in a giggle box. <laughs> 51% of voters said they would feel, quote, satisfied with Biden as the party's nominee, while 41% said the same of Harris. I, I'm feeling more like we're going to see, we're going to witness a gaffe by Biden, coming out of Biden, that's going to end it for him as the party's nominee. And I think Gavin Newsom's just waiting in the wings, 
licking his chops. I think he's waiting. He's ready. I do think you'll see a massive amount of energy and money get behind him. I really do. And I don't know... Wait, you mean a bigger gaffe for Biden than having to walk back? I never talked to my son about his business, to, well, we weren't in business together, to, well, I did talk to his partners, but it was about the weather? How can they do that with a straight face? I just don't see how that Corrine Jean-Pierre, how can she do that? It's disgusting. But this, this uh, something else that came out, that that is bothersome with respect to Trump, but not a crime. He allegedly got inflamed at Pence, who wouldn't comply with the scheme of of uh, essentially not counting the electoral college, of rejecting the official tallies, and allegedly he said, "quote You're too honest." Trump did to Pence. Again, uh, that's shaky, and I, I don't really care for that. I don't. I don't know what that means. Telling someone you're too honest, but it's not a crime. That's the point. So we can analyze that, dissect that all day long, but it's that's not grounds to indict someone. Not whatsoever. Especially when that was kind of the whole reason he was picked as VP to begin with. Yeah. To be the straight man. Exactly. So, uh, I don't know. It's it's crazy. There's also... It's like getting upset that your friend from Sunday school doesn't want to go to the strip club with you. (laughs) Also, the credit rating of these United States took a hit yesterday, and the market is responding negatively to that. We'll get into that today. we got a lot of state politics to talk about as well, but this big news out of the federal government, out of the Washington, I should say, concerning Trump and these charges that have been levied against him in an indictment. But right now, it's time for a break. We're coming back in the Element Well studio. We got Dane Maxwell, Southern District Commissioner for the Mississippi Public Service Commission, calling in. Covering the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It is Middays. We are live in the Element Well studio. We welcome to the program now Dane Maxwell, Southern District Commissioner for the Mississippi Public Service Commission. Commissioner, thanks for coming on. How are you, sir? I'm good. Thanks for having me. You bet. So you are, of course, running for re-election in uh, the the primary next Tuesday. Give us an update on how it's going. Uh, we're marching on. Everything's 
everything's good on our end. Um, you know, we're dodging the mudslinging, uh, but you know, that, that comes with desperate people at the end of the campaign and we just ignore it and move on. So commissioner, your primary opponent, uh, was on the program, Wayne Carr was on the program Monday and, uh, he, he discussed something related to, uh, campaign finance. Uh, in your campaign. Can, yeah. can you tell us about that and, and uh, your thoughts about that from your perspective? Well, you know, it, it's just non-truce. You know, the, the they're throwing mud out there and they're throwing everything to, against the wall to see what will stick. The reality is, is uh, the Secretary of State has went through uh, everything on my end. Uh, we did make some corrections. I have a CPA that does my account, so I'm not on the account. Uh, the CPA does all the stuff, and so I notified him, and they went through everything, and we cleaned everything up. And there were uh, there were a couple mistakes in there, but nothing criminal like he's accusing me of. So, would you characterize it then, Dane, more as just a, re- a reporting oversight, more administrative in nature? And, and not uh, some exactly sort of not some sort of deliberate nefarious abuse of campaign mm-hmm. funds because I believe that's what the allegation is. It is that they're accusing me of intentionally doing things that I just didn't do. Uh, I can't even write a check on my account. Uh, but you know, and, and filing ethics complaints is a serious deal. And you know, Gerard, that, that's a that's a serious issue. You know, in an ethics complaint, when you file an ethics complaint, it's a confidential process. And whoever files it is supposed to keep that confidential, too. That's to keep politics out of it. Hmm. And exactly what he did was file it and then took pictures of it and put it all over the media. But these are anti-Trump people. I don't, you know, I get that a lot because I'm Trump's state director. And... um uh, and, and that just that just comes with the territory. It, it does go way beyond when you start accusing me of criminal stuff, and that's just ridiculous. So I, I want to make sure I understand that. I'm not I'm not sure I was familiar with that, Commissioner. So it, he did disclose on the program that uh, they had filed a complaint with it would be the Mississippi Ethics Commission, uh, I believe, right. would be the organization. And if if I'm not mistaken, uh, is Tom Hood is he still the director of that? He's there. Okay. Yeah. I've, yeah. I've talked to Mr. Hood as well. Uh, just in filings I've had to do with respect to serving on the lottery board. We all have to do. You're familiar with that. You you have to uh, file me. certain reports and stuff. So, um, but, uh, so what you're saying is that's not supposed to be disclosed in the public square that when you, when you make these complaints, when you file these complaints, Sure. You, you're supposed to keep yeah. that confidential? You, you don't go out bragging about it. Okay. Yeah, you don't go out and brag about it. It's a confidential investigation. And, you know, it's just ridiculous to do it because all it is is using it for politics. Okay. And like I said, I take that from anti-Trump people all the time. Uh, huh. I don't take it as severe as these guys do. It, these guys are doing. His, you know, his campaign is, is when they've not talked about policy. They've not talked about a plan. Because they don't have any. All they have is attacking me. And that's fine. They can attack me all day long. Keep my family out of it. I'd appreciate that. Beat, beat up on me all you want to. I'm moving ahead, keeping my head down, and I'm going to win this election. 
What do you hear, uh, Commissioner? You, have you been traveling the district and, and speaking to folks about uh, your reelection campaign? Yes, sir. I travel the district uh, when it when it's not campaign season. I've been in every county more than five times, and and I've been campaigning every day. And I don't um I don't hardly miss an event if I can. It's hard to go to all those events, you know, because. Some of them are at the same time, but I go I go to a lot of events. Uh, I'm I'm telling them what we're doing. We've had a good, successful run here. We've got some good programs in place. We've had a very successful uh, four years. We've changed a lot. We've done a lot, and I want to continue doing that. I love my job. I want to continue doing it. How difficult has the Biden administration made your job in the last couple of years relative to prior to Joe Biden being elected? Seems like every day there's something new that affects energy. Every day. It's ridiculous. If we don't fix that problem up there, we are going to destroy this country. And uh, we can only do so much. When these federal mandates come down, especially on the power companies, it's very difficult to do anything about it. Yeah. And uh, and we're, we've got a lot of new rules and more coming that's going to do nothing but raise rates. Hmm. Yeah, we won't have it. We won't have anything we can do about it. And, and Commissioner, it's a good point you make because we talk about that a lot on the program. You know, we have lots of candidates running for for state office that that talk about you know pushing back on the federal government, and and I, I applaud their concern. But you're kind of limited, aren't you? I mean, if you just defy executive orders or orders or regulations coming down from the federal government. You got a legal problem on your hand, do you not? You do, and there's not a lot. Um, there's not a lot you can do about it. The only thing you can do is try to push back uh, through the various agencies. And the problem with that is, is many of those uh, what we call careers in the federal government system, as you're familiar with. Yeah, they've been entrenched in that for so long that they. That they're typical bureaucrats. They don't. They don't care what happens in Mississippi. I mean, it seems like that's who runs the country. And I, I give it to Donald Trump. He exposed that. He exposed what he called the deep state. That's really what he's talking about. It wasn't so much Congress. They can't get anything done because we don't agree on anything, and we typically have split government. But it's at the agency level. That hell. That's where all that. That's what affects our lives more than anything. You know, I tell I tell people when I um, when I talk to them, a lot of the mayors, you know, the mayors have um, have I've developed a great relationship with them, and I try to help them as much as I can uh, to acquire funding for their cities and, and and stuff. But what I tell them is, you when you talk to your federal delegation and you let them know what you want to do, the next step is to go talk to the bureaucrats. In the agencies, because they're the ones that's going to make the decision. <laughs> yeah. And you have to, you have, you just don't go up and talk to Senator Wicker and say, I need a million dollars and then expect him to produce it. He's going to have to figure a way to make it happen. And, and it's going to be a lot of work. Yeah. If you want to help him, go and see the bureaucrats. If you wanted something from EPA, like I did in Pascagoula, we had that super fun project down there. I, I went straight to Scott Pruitt. And we help, I helped him through the appropriations process. 
I went down and worked in the bat, in the uh, well of the uh, Senate, and, uh, and and we got 107.4 million dollars for Pascagoula, and and that's how it happened, and that's what I encourage them guys to do. Bureaucrats control this country, no doubt. I, I'm I'm with you on that. So, what's your plan in the in the next term, uh, Commissioner? Provided you get reelected, what's on the radar? I'm gonna get reelected. I'm I'm working. I'm going. I'm gonna win this race. And I tell you, because the people know what I've done, the people see what I've done, and we're gonna continue doing that. And one of the big things that we're gonna do is we're gonna focus on this what he calls this uh, great water steel or something like that. What we what we really done is we went out and identified after after I took office we went out and identified rural water associations and various subdivisions and stuff that were derelict. I partnered with DEQ, I partnered with the health department, and we went out there and we put our team together and we are finding abandoned water systems, derelict water systems, and sewage systems. We've we've corrected over a hundred. He didn't tell you that. We've corrected over 100 of those things. Hmm. And now we've got good, clean water and sewer in, out of people's yards. Hmm. Interesting. We're going to continue to work on that. Commissioner, thanks for coming on. Good luck on the campaign. I'm sure we'll be talking to you soon again. Thank you. Commissioner Dane Maxwell, he's the Public Service Commissioner of the Southern District of Mississippi, running for re-election, has been our guest on Middays. We're stepping aside for a break. Final segment in this hour. Coming up next, Haley Fasakerly, CEO and President of Entergy on at 1220. with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well studio. We appreciate you joining us today. So, you remember, Rhino, we we talked about um, just the amount of money being spent on all this DEI stuff, especially in, in higher ed, right? So, the University of Michigan, this was just announced, and the National Institute of Health, they're spending $80 million, $80 million bucks as part of DEI 2.0 is what they're calling it. <laughs> uh, Second verse, same as the first, a little <laughs> bit louder and a little bit worse. I mean, this is crazy. $80 million bucks. What are we getting for this? Anything of value? Not one red cent worth of value. I don't think so either. $80 million. 
part of it from the National Institute of Health, $15.8 million to hire, quote, minoritized individuals. What do you need to spend money on that for? Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Minoritized? That's the new thing. I'm reading. I'm quoting it. Blackface? I thought that was uh, (laughs) faux pas. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Are we talking about that really bad James Bond outfit he wore in that movie where he tried to make him look Asian? It's just offensive even for that day and time. Oh, my gosh. Is that minoritized? (laughs) It could be. It works for me. So this this is eighty million fifteen point eight from the National Institute of Health, sixty three point seven from the university, and it's also from the Michigan Program for Advancing Cultural Transformation. <laughs> and they, this initiative is designed to quote enhance inclusion and equity across the biomedical and health sciences community, which includes hiring thirty new professors, not based on their merit or qualifications or performance or experience. No, 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 based on their what do they call it minoritized status. I guess. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is just so insane. 80 million bucks. D-I-O, D-E-I, pardon me, 2.0. You see, D-E-I 1.0 began in 2016. It's one of the nation's largest, no kidding, D-E-I program. Wow. The uh, This program is 80 million bucks. They're titling it Impact. That's so clever. Capital M hyphen P-A-C-T. And <laughs> Sounds like a savings it's account. designed to, quote, address persistent and significant underrepresentation of minoritized individuals in groups. M hyphen packed. Isn't that cute? They're so clever. Oh, my gosh. 80 million bucks they're spending on that. I sort of was hoping that most of this stuff was over. Now, there was an interesting article in the Wall Street Journal uh, last week entitled The Rise and Fall of the Chief Diversity Officer. So it it appears that there are some corporations that are starting to eliminate some of these departments within their – their corporate organizational structure, because you know what? It's because the return on investment is approaching zero. I think it's it's a cost. It's negative. I think it's a negative return. So this really took hold, of course, uh, in the wake of the George Floyd incident. I mean, I think you could point to that as pivotal in propelling the creation of these DEI departments across the corporate landscape and, of course, already had had been established in much of higher ed, but just intensified significantly. But we got lots of companies that are telling their DEI, actually they call them CDOs, Chief Diversity Officers, to 
Hit the hit the door. Netflix, Warner Brothers, even Disney said that high-profile diversity, equity, and inclusion executives will be leaving their jobs and not replaced. Now, these organizations across corporate America have thousands, it's crazy, of DEI-focused workers. And they've been laid off this year. A lot of companies are starting to scale back their commitment to racial justice. You mean they're just going to make stuff... (laughs) service the the good of the people with uh, their offerings and turn a profit doing so? How novel an idea. We're coming back after the break here. We've got Fox News and Super Talk News. Haley Fasakerly at 1220. He's the president and CEO of Entergy. And now, now. the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It is hour two of Middays. We are live in the Element Well studio on this hump day. Tomorrow on In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, you'll hear an interview with country music producer Rick Sanjek, who helped launch the outlaw country music in the 70s with the likes of Willie Nelson and Waylon Jennings. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar is presented by Superior Catfish. Remember, there's catfish, then there is Superior Catfish. It's U.S. farm-raised catfish with homegrown flavor. Ask for it by name at your favorite store or restaurant and go to superiorcatfish, that's one word, dot com for more info. And don't forget, go out and vote next Tuesday. It's primary day. Make your voice heard. Vote in the upcoming primary elections on Tuesday, August 8th. Be sure to bring your photo ID as required to vote in Mississippi's elections. Or else you'll be voting affidavit and you'll still have to bring your ID up to the courthouse. To prove you are who you are, right? Yeah, yeah, man. That's what's happening. So we will uh, see next Tuesday night how things work out. Here in the state of Mississippi. But if you want some excitement between now and then, Friday night is the Mega Millions, and they still don't have a winner. Yeah, we had a drawing last night. Right? Oh, yeah. And I didn't no, win. No jackpot. I didn't yeah. get a single number right. You didn't. You did. So you didn't win even a dollar. Nope. Yeah. Now, do you uh, also, do you buy the Mega Plier? Oh, yeah. For another buck. Is that what? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And with Mega Millions, the Mega Plier is randomized. Like, you, you get anything from two to, yeah. I think, 24 times. Yep. That's right. It's uh, it's based on an algorithm. So the next drawing will be Friday for Mega Millions. $1.25 billion is where the jackpot presently stands. I always look forward so... The president, he's on the program a lot with Gallo of um, the Mississippi Lottery Corporation, Jeff Hewitt. He uh, provides, this has been a a custom we've had in place really since we launched the games 
back in November of 2019. The the week, the financial week, if you will, for the Lottery Corporation uh, ends at midnight on Saturday. Midnight on Saturday. So Sunday morning, and it begins, of course, therefore, 12.01 Sunday morning. He uh, provides the members of the board an email. It usually gets at 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning, and it provides a recap of sales of the prior week. And I, and I always look forward to seeing that report. Jeb does a great job, always timely with that. Always look forward to seeing that report. You see how we do. And I, I know when this jackpot's up, when I open that document, and, it, and it's a, a spreadsheet that uh, that shows the, the running totals and then the individual totals, the running totals year-to-date, and then the individual totals for the week across the category of game. we got the, the scratch-off, what we call the instant, then we got the state drawdown, then we've got the multi-state drawdown. But I know that when this jackpot's up like this, when I open that document on Sunday, you can expect to see a pretty high level of sales. It's the only time I make a donation to the Road and Bridges Fund. <laughs> so we closed out the year, uh, I think, at about $420 million or so of gross sales, generating about $122 million of net proceeds for the state of Mississippi. And you so you can do kind of the math on that. Averages, uh, what nine, ten million or so, nine million a, a week of sales. Nine million, just between nine and ten. But in a week such as this, when we have a high jackpot, it's uh, it's north of ten. Usually, it's in the eleven to thirteen million dollar range. There was a time. This was back during the pandemic. I think is when we may have hit a record. I think we've had a $17 million week and a $13 million week. There's probably folks at the lottery listening that could correct me on that. I don't have that completely committed to memory. But those two figures stick out in my head. Nonetheless, you can just expect brisk sales when the jackpot is on up there. And that's where it is right now. Somebody's going to win. Wouldn't it be great to have a billion-dollar winner here in the great state of Mississippi? That'd be I mean, fun. I promise if I win, I'll still be doing this. <laughs> uh, so, in accordance with the law, by the way, board members and employees and vendors, vendor partners to the lottery, are not permitted to play, to buy tickets. No surprise there. But the vendors do get a pay out if they have a winner at their location, correct? No, that would be the retailers. The That's retailers. a different That's group. Right. They do. There's a, there's a, I can't remember, it's in their contract. If there's a, a jackpot like that, I want to say it's 25000 bucks or so, it's something like that. I, I don't recall that. When I was traveling around the state introducing the lottery, speaking about it, I had all those figures memorized, but it's, it's been a minute. They, so they do. But the uh, if they have a majority stake ownership in the retailer outlet, they're not permitted to play either. And we, we actually had some discussion about this just based on the law, interpreting the law. An employee of, say, the retailer can. 
vendors nor their employees can play for I think for obvious reasons, a possible conflict, employees themselves cannot play. Nor can named relatives, and, and I'm, what I mean by named is the law is explicit about who, who qualifies as a relative of the individual who cannot play if they live in their household. All right, so such as my children, my adult children, do not live in my household. They, therefore, can play. Um, And I can't really tell you, when the law was drafted, why it has that qualification, living in the household. But sometimes I I think about, oh, man, if my adult kids happen to win this jackpot, (laughs) all hell will break loose on me. But you know what? I figure if they win a billion dollars, we'll deal. We'll deal with that. Uh, how many tickets sold? Like 300 million? It's incredible how many. Oh, yeah. When these big jackpots get on up there. Uh, I'd like to see somebody win, say, to Mississippi. That would be big time cool. Uh, the lottery has produced, just to your point, the first 80 million, just a little refresher of net proceeds produced in, in a, a fiscal year, are transferred to the state highway fund, the excess to the education enhancement fund. Just for the benefit of our audience, a uh, just a gentle reminder that not a single dime goes to the general fund. The legislature has no power over the money. The net proceeds produced by the lottery goes straight to the treasurer, and the treasurer then transfers to the state highway fund up to the first $80 million in a year and all the excess to the education enhancement fund, which is not appropriated by the legislature. It is it is uh, distributed in accordance with a series of formulas, provisions in the law that established the Education Enhancement Fund uh, many years ago. We have hit the threshold in the f- first three full years of operations, meaning the full $80 million that is earmarked for the State Highway Fund. We easily hit that. In the first year of operations was a part year. It launched in November. So we had about seven months in a week of, of sales. Produced $70 million in that part year, that would be fiscal year 2020, all went to the State Highway Fund. So you can do the math there. State Highway Fund has received $310 million from the lottery. And that is uh, certainly nothing to sneeze at, no doubt about it. But that's where we are. Um. But don't forget to vote next Tuesday, please. Let's see. If there's no way to manipulate the lottery, I don't understand why employees and family members can't play. It's just the appearance. It's exactly. I was just about to use the word optics. It has to do just to just to prevent and avoid. And, and here's what it has to do with more than anything. You don't want anybody out there playing thinking, oh, heck, why do I want to play? Those people that created all this stuff, they also can play. And maybe they did something to rig it in their favor. So it's just, we want to remove all possible doubt and speculation of that. That's why the McDonald's monopoly isn't as popular as it once was. That's true. It's a good point. Because insiders were always getting boardwalk. That's exactly right. (laughs) That's a great point. We are in the Element Well studio today. 
And we're within a week of elections here in the great state of Mississippi. we got to talk about that a little bit. Also, I came across in my memory a Facebook post I made in 2017. I want to share that with you guys and see what you think about it. It it, uh, kind of came up and surprised me. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studio. Three. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Some people call me the Space Cowboy. Yeah. Some call me the gangster of love. Some people call me Maurice. Because I speak of the pompous of love. People talk about me. And the great Steve Miller band bumping us into this segment here. We appreciate it. So, uh, we had a question on the ceasefire text line. By the way, that's 601-879-4395. This is concerning the lottery. And perhaps we need to explain this. Did I hear you correctly that last fiscal year the lottery did $420 million gross, net of $120 million. If that is the keys, key, what is it? Is that right? If that that's what it says. If that is the keys, are you telling me you took three hundred million to run the lottery? Well, people play the lottery in the hopes that they will win prizes. Yeah, you gotta have payouts. So or it's not a lottery. Right. Well they're not gonna pay. So no, in fact, I'm happy to explain in accordance with the law, fifty percent of the revenue. So that's $450 million, $420 million. And of course, with the law, 50% must be paid out in prizes. In other words, we have to structure the games such that 50% is paid out in prizes. Now, honestly, if we did, in fact, structure and because uh, you can control the algorithms, the, the company who prints the tickets, for example, and and that um, the random number generator process for the drawdown games, the state drawdown games, you you have some control and power <clears throat> over the probabilities, et cetera, which are all published on the website, by the way, if you're interested in that. If we did the minimum 50%, wouldn't be very successful. It's it's really no different, and so that the governance of the lottery is more akin to serving on a private sector board because you've got to find a sweet spot. It's like anything else you're selling. Yeah, sure, you can charge more money, but you're going to get fewer sales for a product or service, for example. In the case of the lottery, the objective is to maximize sales and profit. Well, in order to do that, you got to find the, the sweet spot the optimum payout. Well, even though the law says the lottery only has to pay out 50%, in fact, if you look at uh, our financial history, comes in at about 65% on average. All right, the law also stipulates that expenses 
that that would be the operating expenses to which this individual I think is referring cannot exceed 15% of revenue. So you can do the math there with 420 million in sales, you're talking about 63 million bucks or so. Um, now, in in reality, it comes in at about 10%. So we we are able to operate the lottery at a level that is less than what the law permits in terms of the expense model. And that that's uh, credit to the staff and the management team of the lottery that has uh, done a great job in staying below the expense thre- threshold, paying out what is deemed to be the optimum rate, some 65%, which is greater than the minimum 50%. If you paid out 50%, I dare say, the uh, proceeds wouldn't be as high, wouldn't be as successful. So the goal is to figure out that um, there's no such thing as a perfect figure there. It's uh, somewhat subjective and requires analysis, but it's just like anything else in business. You're trying to figure out what you know what's the best model here to succeed and to produce maximum success. So that's how it works. So certainly don't want to give the impression that uh, the 300 million over and above the 120 million is sent to the state is used to operate the organization. No, the the big expense in operating a lottery is prizes. That's the product you're selling. People play it because they hope to win. Now, I can also tell you, if you look at the website and the probability, so every scratch-off game, you'll actually see the probabilities. You've seen that before. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Print it on there. Yeah, exactly. It's typically north of 70%. Uh, more because it's a it's or a, a prize. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Well, so that's, when, that's the the sticky part of it is the the odds are calculated to winning a prize, not winning the whole thing. That's correct. Yeah, thank you for that clarification. But the the blend of the instant, the state drawdown, the big categories of games, instant tickets, those are scratch offs. The state drawdown, and then the multi state drawdown. The blend of that comes in at about 65% of sales. That's what the payout is. Uh, so uh, I think that all that's worked out pretty dang well. Also keep in mind that the lottery received no taxpayer funding. It was con- capitalized by a conventional bank loan. Literally went and borrowed money. About half a million bucks to cover costs until we launched uh, the business and started producing revenue to cover the expenses and, of course, pay out the prizes. That's what it's all about. But thanks for the the question there. It's good. Stephen Brookhaven says, Thumbs up to the Steve Miller band. I get called Maurice all the time because, by coincidence, my name is Steve Miller. That's great, Steve at Brookhaven. Thank you for letting us know that. That's pretty cool. So maybe you could tell us what pompatus means. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I always see that and hear it and sing it and say, what the heck is that? What about redirecting lottery proceeds to PERS instead of MDOT, says Thomas and Greenwood. Well, all that uh, requires is uh, a law. You could amend it. And so, by the way, the, f- the way the law was structured the first 10 years, 
for the first 10 years, I should say, the $80 million uh, goes to the uh, State Highway Fund, as I indicated. And then after that... In the in the uh, in the access to the education enhance, enhancement fund, and after the ten years, the amount over the eighty million dollars actually goes to the general fund in accordance with current law. Now that again, that law could be amended because it's just statute that was passed by the legislature. I've heard nothing, no rumblings whatsoever about making any amendments to the lottery law, and it's been in effect since it was passed in a special session in 2018. So I don't, um, I don't expect, you know, anything. There's certainly nothing that the lottery as an organization has requested of the legislature. It's just everything's pretty cool. By the way, the employees of the lottery are not public sector employees. They work for a corporation, the Mississippi Lottery Corporation, which is established as what's called an instrumentality of the state. So the employees, for example, they are not bound by, as a result, they're not bound by state personnel compensation policy. They do not participate in PERS or other state benefits. In fact, we did an RFP to select a third-party insurer to handle our employee benefit plans and and our various forms of liability (coughs) coverage. That was all done essentially the way you would do it in a private sector company. Uh, Our banking relationship, that was also established via RFP, Request for Proposal as was the selection of our uh, professional services firms, our attorneys, accountants as well. That was all done through comprehensive RFP, competitively bid. Talked about this before. I I would like to see the state of Mississippi require competitive bidding and eliminate the very old exemptions for such services that do not require competitive bidding when – contracting for legal services, accounting services, insurance services, engineering services, and the like. You see that uh, occur, especially at the municipal level and the county level, where those awards are made without competitive bid. We insisted early on, the board kind of led the effort there to, um, in fact, run a complete comprehensive competitive bidding process in the form of requests for proposals, very comprehensive requests for proposals to select our various partners in that regard, our lawyers, our accountants, even our bank, even our financial institution. That's kind of unusual if you think about it. Don't see too many cases where you do a competitive bid to select a financial institution partner, a bank. We're stepping aside for a break right here on Middays. We're coming right back with more Haley Fasakerly, President and CEO of Intergy at 1220 today. Mississippi. I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. On Super Talk Mississippi. 
Welcome back, everyone. It is middays. We are live in the Element Wealth Studios. So the markets are, jeez, plowing even further lower. Certainly the NASDAQ is. It is taking it on the chin today. And that is because... Um, yeah, that is because we got a credit downgrade. Credit downgrade. Fitch came out and said, we don't like the way the federal government handles their fiscal affairs. Literally said that, that they were concerned about this continuous fire drill leading up to uh, and dealing with the debt ceiling. And they they downgraded us from AAA to AA plus, and that has the markets reeling. I don't know that that would cause like a, a protracted bear market. I don't feel like it would. Um, but I, it's a problem, no doubt about it. So, okay, so Meg Anderson, who is uh, communications at the lottery, she was listening. So remind me, Meg, all the times I spoke about this, and I can't remember, is it the amount over 80 that, that then goes to the, the uh, general fund with the first 80 staying in the highway fund, or do I have it backwards? Help me out with that if you're still listening. I, I may have to pull the law up here. Okay, you said... Tell me again. She's texting me. <laughs> I want to make sure we get that right. I knew I knew that after the first ten years, the uh, the transfer model changed. Okay, so I had it backwards. That's fine. The first eighty million after ten years of operations, twenty twenty eight, because the law was established in eighteen in special session. The first eighty goes to the general fund. The excess still goes to the education enhancement fund. So I had it backwards, but I, I knew there was a there was a time we that we got to that so one of those components went to the general fund. Now, the the legislature, of course, can change that. They can amend it if they want to uh, if they want to to change the, just the funding distribution. Of the net proceeds. Net proceeds are essentially net profit. That's just what they're called in accounting lingo when you're dealing with uh, these sorts of entities, these instrumentalities of the state, if you will, which is what the Mississippi Lottery Corporation is. And that just means the state of Mississippi effectively is the equity owner, if you will, of the Lottery Corporation. It is more structured like a private company, and I think that was a good deal. I think that was a good move on the part of our legislature. In some states, like California, it is a state agency, typically under the roof of the state treasurer's office in most states. But the uh, the state of Mississippi had the, the wisdom to follow the practice that seemed to be more successful and popular in the states that did, in fact, establish it as a separate, more corporate-like entity. And I'm, I'm happy they did in that regard. So that that's the way that works. Um, someone said that uh, the State Highway Fund is getting so much money from the lottery, when will we begin to see improvements in the highways, bridges, and long-promised bypasses that never materialize? Well, there's no doubt that 
The $310 million the lottery has sent has been put to good use, and there are numerous examples of that from across the state. But if you talk to, honestly, the folks, uh, Brad White, et cetera, the executive director of the Department of Transportation and others, you know, it it just depends on what um, you would deem to be the appropriate level and and the prioritization of roads and bridges that need to be addressed in the state. But it's a it's a never ending quest. I mean you're never done with that. It did never reaches and achieves the level of perfection. And this three hundred and ten million dollars is uh certainly nothing to sneeze at in in terms of funding projects, but they would tell you that's still not enough. You know, to do the things that people would say, well, gee, I'd like to fix this, I'd like to fix that. And others would say, no, it's fine, we don't need to raise the fuel tax, which is the primary source of revenue. In fact, from a state perspective, virtually the exclusive source of any material amount, and then the federal government. But the federal government's money, uh, my understanding is, can't be used for state roads. And then you've got county roads, which are funded by county funds. So keep that in mind as well, that the state highway fund doesn't doesn't fund roads and bridges that are maintained by the counties and the cities. They deal with state highways, state, state roads. The federal government deals with those that are federally funded, interstates, etc., and some U.S. highways. So it's it's a little more complicated than just, hey, the lottery's up and running. We can fix every road and bridge in the state. Just have gold-plated roads and bridges. Now, it's just a way to get some money. Because in the state of Mississippi, there was no appetite on the part of the legislature to raise the fuel tax. Uh, yeah, Meg reminds that if you look at the annual reports uh, for the lottery published on the lottery website... There's uh, a great analysis and summary of all the projects the lottery has funded, and that is actually contributed by the, by the Mississippi Department of Transportation because they're the ones who, who track that information. The lottery just produces the income, sends it to the state treasurer. Done at that point. State treasurer then deposits in accordance with the law to the fund, state highway fund, which is managed by the Department of Transportation. But what I would suggest uh, to to our person here that asked about that is call your highway commissioner, your transportation commissioner. But make sure you know whether or not it's a state road, county road, uh, city, street, because that matters. That come they're funded by different pots of money, different sources. So that's kind of how that works. Uh, let's see here. Dave says, by the way, that uh, actual he says actually cities and counties, when they are doing any grant-related work, do have to take RFPs for engineers and even the grant administrator. And I just point out, yeah, for federal money that has those stipulations attached, you've got to prove that you had a, a competitive bidding vetted process. Typically, there's also some minority participation requirements and the like. Well, that's totally different, though, 
than the public monies, your ad valorem taxes, for example, and sales taxes, which fund um, respectively counties and cities and municipalities, uh, they are able to procure certain professional services without the benefit of a competitive bid. I've witnessed it. I encourage you, go to a city council meeting. Go to a, uh, a supervisor meeting in your county when, when uh, they're doing awards for certain services, and you'll find that there's no competitive bidding. I tell you who's present at every one of those meetings is a lawyer. You pretty much need legal counsel present when you're conducting these sorts of board meetings because you run into legal matters. Sometimes you run into matters of of uh, just conducting meetings in accordance with law, Robert's rules of, of, uh, of order there. And sometimes you run into sort of complex questions. You need a lawyer right there that understands all that, that can make sure you adhere to those regulations. But check out how that lawyer was selected to be the lawyer for that county. You won't find that there was an RFP done or even just some sort of bid, even even limited scope bid. You won't find that. That's not how it works in Mississippi. Unfortunately, I disagree with that practice, and I'd like to see our legislature enact law that would, in fact, require competitive bidding, certainly over a certain amount. And you can structure it. It's what we did at the lottery. It depends on the value of the purchase. Uh, over a million bucks, total comprehensive RFP, I think below 10000 we advertise it. And uh, just, again, it just depends on the the uh, the amount of the purchase as to, to how involved the procurement, the competitive bid process needs to be. But just, hey, I think we ought to hire so-and-so over there. Okay, all in favor say aye. That's what happens today <laughs> in our counties and cities. The state at the agency level, you don't see that. But there still are services procured by agencies without the benefit that have not been vetted through a competitive bid process because it's not a requirement in the state of Mississippi. Something I'd like to see the legislature address. We're coming right back with more here in the Element Well studio. Final segment, an hour or two. Again, Haley Fasakerly, President and CEO of Intergy, coming on at 1220. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show. On Super Talk Mississippi. In the Element Well studio, Stephen Goldport says, Gerard, knowing you're a huge Journey fan, I was just wondering if you were aware of the band HSAS. Hagar, Sean, 
Aronson Shrive, Neil Sean and Sammy Hagar, Supergroup 84. I wasn't, Steve. That's interesting. Neil Sean, of course, the iconic lead guitarist of Journey, did perform with uh, Carlos Santana. Actually, kind of discovered him. He was like 14, Neil was. Greg Rowley, the original keyboardist for uh, Journey, played at Woodstock with Santana. He is the vocals in the famous, arguably the most famous Santana tune, Black Magic Woman. It's Greg Rowley of Journey. Let's see. If the State Highway Fund... Okay, no, I got that one already. Thomas and Greenwood says, The cries of think of the roads and think of the children as people bemoan the change would totally make it worth sending the funds to purse. So Thomas has sent in a series of texts where he is suggesting that maybe we ought to send the net proceeds produced by the lottery to the purse fund, given... It's financial conundrum. Don't think that would be very popular. And that that's the fundamental problem here, Thomas. While I you know, I agree that it needs to be addressed. It's an issue. We have an obligation. And you know this long text I read Rhino Monday from the person who said they're retired and a teacher and suggested that we were bashing teachers and and looking to eliminate purse, essentially, abolish purse. Well, that's nothing could be further from the truth. But that's a perfect example of why it doesn't get brought up by politicians, because even if you try to have a factual conversation, somebody's only going to hear what they want to hear, and they're going to get in their feelings about it, and they're going to raise a ruckus, even though you didn't say half the things you're being accused of saying. And what? Uh, and you're absolutely right. And, and I guess, and I don't know the the political persuasion of this person. I wouldn't hesitate to guess that, and they haven't shared it with us. But I would just say this. That's the same rhetoric you get from the Democrats every time a Republican says, hey, guys, we got to do something about Social Security and Medicare. And they, they want to end your Social Security and Medicare. That's, that's what they take from that, right? You heard Biden say it a million times. And unfortunately, it works because people don't pay attention to the nuance and in the case of PERS, the reason I have talked so much about that is because this is a problem that's well-established, it's documented. It ain't going away on its own. It won't correct it. And my calling attention to it is, in fact, because I realize the state has an obligation under the PERS system, and I want to see the program, the fund placed on stable financial footing. Just not talking about it ain't going to do that. You've got to at least get it on the table and start discussing it. That's why. So it's quite the opposite. I submit those who don't talk about it, well, they're the ones who are essentially delinquent in that I don't want to talk about it because it's politically unpopular. In other words, you're just okay with it failing on its own because that's the trajectory that it is on, just like Social Security and Medicare if we don't do something. Now, the Democrats' solution for Social Security and Medicare is just to tax the snot out of the higher income people to cover the benefits of everybody else. (laughs) They just want to take from them 
to fund the retirement and the health care benefits of the rest of society. That's their solution. Yeah, those people that make all that money, they just got to pay more in. Oh, when they get ready to retire, we're also going to implement further means testing. They're going to get less out. But they're going to pay a whole lot more in. I mean, that that's just blatant redistribution. In essence, nobody's going to like it when I say this, Rhino. It's welfare. If you're getting a whole lot more out than you paid in plus re- a reasonable return, where do you think that comes from? How's that any different? Now, people are saying, welfare. Now, I'm just pointing out the math here. We've been through this a million times. we got to do something to fix it. And the same is with PERS. Right now, the only action that's been taken of late is that we have a 5% increase in the employer contribution rate that goes into effect July 1, 2024. Guess who pays that? Taxpayers. The employer? Taxpayers. I mean, the whole state government and everybody that works for it, they provide services to the taxpayers. I'm not downplaying or discounting that, but this increase in the PERS rate is going to have to be funded by taxpayers. We are stepping aside for Fox News and Super Talk News because it's top of the hour. We're coming right back. Stay with us. Welcome to the show that challenges you to think deeply deeply. and look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone it is middays hour two oh three pardon me <laughs> hour three of the program on this hump day we're having so much fun i uh, lost track of the time there <laughs> we are going to be here in the super talk headquarters studios until and through the election next tuesday we encourage you to get out and exercise your right to vote do so. Bring your photo ID and cast your ballot so we can figure out who's going to win. What do you think about the um, the turnout? I'm not really sure. I don't know what to think about at this point. You would think that the local races would turn folks out. Sometimes can do. On the ceasefire text line, Travis and Wesson says, I hear commercials on y'all station for Delbert Hoseman and Chris McDaniel. Both are bashing each other in their commercials. Which one are y'all backing? Well, the winner. Uh, I'm not sure <laughs> exactly. I'm not sure if Travis is referring to you and me specifically or Super Talk Network. I'm not sure. But. What we're I, back in the winter. We're back in the winter. I'm all about that. I like to be associated with the winter. Uh, I don't know who that's going to be at this point. I have pledged to remain neutral in the lieutenant governor's race. 
and have had the privilege of interviewing both candidates, and we have certainly analyzed the campaigns and their talking points and and try to, I guess, distill those down into what's maybe stretching the truth a little bit, what's fact, and also some of the commitments and pledges made. We, we ask all the candidates, honestly, if you're going to put that sort of stuff out in your campaign materials, uh, I think the voters deserve to know what are your specific plans. Elimination of the income tax is probably a top issue. I think it, for many, is the top issue. Some prefer elimination of the sales tax on groceries in lieu of, or maybe in addition to. I've seen some candidates say, yeah, for both. I think that's great. I'm for having more money in my pocket, for sure. But you need a plan to achieve that. We spent some time Monday diving into all the details there, it's it's easier said than done. It's, it's a complicated matter. And even the bill we had that the House passed back in early 22 that the Senate did not pass that would have fully eliminated, even that plan included increasing the sales tax, as we've discussed numerous times. But even with increasing the sales tax... There was a triggered approach to uh, increasing, boosting the personal exemption amount, which, of course, is deducted from your gross income to determine your taxable income, as well as some other deductions are. And then you apply, you step up through the tax brackets, But even that plan started out with a very high personal exemption, 80 grand or so for a couple, and half that for an an individual filing their taxes as a a joint return or an individual, respectively. But even that plan, it didn't eliminate it day one. It phased it in once these triggers were attained on an annual basis. It was estimated that was going to take 10 to 12 years to fully eliminate the income tax. It was not like, hey, this is going away as soon as you guys get in office, right? It's what you said on your bingo card here, eliminate the income tax. Hey, pay up, buddy. Oh, sorry, didn't really mean that one year. Well, that's important. Hmm. So that's what's happening. Uh, Andy and Jackson says, wonder why a portion of the state lottery can't go to supplement health care in Mississippi. New construction of roadways and bridges and most maintenance goes to private contractors. Well, just depends on what you mean specifically by, quote, supplement health care. Are you talking about insurance, um, covering the, the cost of insurance for Mississippians that don't have it or can't afford it? Are you talking about money that would just be allocated out to health care providers to cover the cost of uninsured care? I mean, supplementing health care could take many shapes and forms is the point. And let's keep in mind just the math there. The lottery produces, as we indicated earlier, 120 to $130 million. In the first three years, it's been between $120 million and $130 million of net proceeds. The health care issue is a billion-dollar problem, multi-billion-dollar problem. Um, 
I said earlier, Rhino, that something came up in my memories from six years ago. Um, but my Facebook memories, you know how that works. I, I posted this. In 10 years, based on the current trajectory, entitlement spending. Now, before you get bent out of shape about what is entitlement spending, yes, that's Social Security and Medicare. It's called entitlements because it means you're entitled to it. A lot of people conflate that with welfare. It's not. They are referred to as entitlements, simply meaning, indicating, you're entitled to that. Nobody doubts that or disputes it. I said entitlement spending and interest will consume 99% of tax revenues. That means the entire amount of discretionary spending will be financed with America's visa, treasury bills. Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and interest will comprise $2.1 trillion of the $2.6 trillion in growth projected federal spending over the next decade. Now, this was six years ago. Medicaid combined federal and state spending in most states will equal or exceed their entire state budget. Nearly does in Mississippi today. Will in two years. So the government has evolved into a retirement and health insurance provider's All of that actually came to pass, sadly. Every bit of revenue that goes to the federal government covers only the mandatory spending. The discretionary spending of defense and the whole government complex, every other government agency outside of Medicaid benefits, Medicare benefits, Social Security benefits, and interest. You look at where our revenue is relative to the spending on those mandatory programs, we have no tax revenue going to, for example, a core function of government. That's defense. Who could argue with that? Now, we could certainly debate how much we should spend on defense and what we should be buying with our defense dollars. That's a different subject. But this has come to pass. The other thing that's happened is, it is absolutely true, the Medicaid program in the state of Mississippi, combined federal and state money, is larger than the state's general fund budget. Think about that. Medicaid is bigger than the whole rest of the state in terms of funding. That one program, when you combine federal and state. This was seven years ago that you could, uh, six years ago, August 2nd, 2017, you could just see this is where we were headed. So now we get a credit downgrade. The markets are reeling from this, especially the NASDAQ, which is very sensitive to those sorts of things. And it's all because one of the ratings services, Fitch, they downgraded our debt, our credit, not our debt, our credit, which, of course, credit, you could say, equates to debts when we go borrow money, which we do a lot, downgrading the U.S. debt rating from AAA to AA+, is a result, they say, of this chaos we have, congressional standoff. Every time we're about to run out of money and got to raise the debt ceiling, it makes them nervous. They also said the January 6th riot. I'm surprised here. Two and a half years, three years later, that they're speaking up about that, that that's a reason for a downgrade. And 
That did not sit well with investors. Now, (laughs) Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre, that learned economist (laughs) he is, said the White House strongly disagreed with the downgrade decision, saying that it, quote, defies reality to downgrade the United States at a moment when President Biden has delivered the strongest recovery of any major economy in the world. And it's clear, she goes on to say, that extremism by Republican officials from cheerleading default to undermining governance and democracy to seeking to extend deficit-busting tax giveaways (laughs) for the wealthy and corporations is a continued threat to our economy. Oh, pay no attention to the fact that since this guy's been in office, our spending has increased 50%. Two point three trillion dollar increase since he's been there. Oh no, it's those tax giveaways. As if the government owns your money as it if it originates. We're coming right back with Haley Fasakerly from Entergy. Check it out. Let's do this. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk, Mississippi. everyone middays live in the element wealth studio we uh, thank you so much for joining us today and joining us in the studio is haley fasakerly president and ceo of energy mississippi always good to see you haley thanks great. for coming in thank you gerard great to be here thank you for the opportunity to talk to our customers yes sir so uh give us an update we we had some unusual stormy weather that caused lots of problems for uh electric service back in june that's very, right very unusual and I know you guys were working feverishly to, to restore uh, service. So we, we moved from that. Now we got uh, crazy heat that's, that's just right. uh, invaded the state of Mississippi. It's kind of one thing after another, I guess. So tell us where we are. Uh, it has been an extreme year of weather. You know, we you think about June. We also had spring with the Rolling Fork and Silver yeah. City tornadoes that were devastating to our system. And as we heard from the National Weather Service, that unprecedented uh, storms in uh, June. A lot of people think about the last one, but we were hit with five severe thunderstorms with 80-plus mile-per-hour winds in a seven-day period. All said and done, that impacted over 230,000 of our 460,000 wow. customers. Half. And, uh, half. Almost half, and that's right, in 35 of our 40, 37 of our 45 counties. So it was a shotgun approach. It made response very difficult and stuff. But one of the big things we learned, and it was a new system that we deployed uh, that allows us to, one, assess damage and communicate to, assist, uh, to our customers failed, yeah. okay. a new software system. We have teams working right now with GE, the provider of it. it. It's a system that's used by a number of utilities. It's impacted them, too. We're working as a team to address that. And it's one of these things that 
we did such a great job of developing these systems to communicate communicate to our customers. They became used to it, and here you are. You get a software upgrade to do another improvement of it, and it didn't work for terms. But we have identified the issues. Teams are working around the clock to fix that going forward. But we discovered it early on, worked around it, but we understand it frustrated customers because we couldn't tell them when their type power yeah. would be back on. Yeah. But we kept getting hit, hit, and hit. That also reset our restoration stuff. But we get better from these, and uh, and we'll uh, apply those lessons learned going forward. Well, Public Service Commissioner uh, Brent Bailey, of course, he he um, he offered rather uh, some critical words uh, when when uh, we were experiencing all that. But but I'll say this, Haley, I, I I picked up on your responses there and and, and saw your statements and. Um, I appreciate you for for not just being confrontational about it. Say, hey, look, we we understand that we 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 don't really uh, agree that we perform to the standard that we would like to. But I also get having been in the IT business, it's not unusual to have a software upgrade and have a problem with that. And even the best on the planet to do that for a living, it happens. Now that's not an excuse; it's just reality. But you're addressing it, and that's the most it important is. thing. It is. You could always be better. You never, and in our business, in any business, I think anybody who runs businesses, you should never be satisfied. Right. You should always do it. I'm very proud of our people. They work hard. We have great practice for that. The systems we use didn't perform to the level we want to. We appreciate the commission's inquiry. We're going to re- respond to their inquiry and learn from it. And hopefully uh, every time it opens up new ideas and new ways, we can make the system even more reliable. Yeah. The good news is we have all this novel technology that, that does uh, really uh, enable uh, the Intergy company to have that strong, continuous flow of communication with that's your customer. Right. That's the kind of stuff we just didn't have for. Before, we just have to call and sit on hold for an hour and find out when you're going to do something. Well, but, and when we have it, we become immediately uh, dependent on it. Well, the good news is, though, when we saw the problems, we knew our old work practices and our distribution operations center saw that and said, okay, look, we're going to have to go back to manual systems real quickly here to work through this. And they did. And I yeah. appreciate them recognizing that problem and, and jumping on it uh, to keep us on track to restore customers yeah but it was frustrating i know to go out uh, without power in this heat for so many days and but here we are dealing with high temperatures yeah, so tell, tell us about that how, how are we doing we got a supply and, and capacity uh knock on wood everything looks great uh all our plants are up and running we also have some in reserve so we have plenty of capacity gerard 10 years ago we joined a regional transmission organization called miso the mid-continent independent system operator and they are an independent system operator in addition, they provide more transparency over the planning of the system, and they also serve as our reliability coordinator. Uh, past events, uh, Winter Storm Uri and uh, other events that happen around the country give an opportunity to share. We implemented uh, a number of preventance maintenance programs last year. Uh, new, uh, Once again, technology. We have now remote sensing and a uh, central command center that can monitor our power plants, our grid. A lot of those investments have been made, and we're continuing to make. And the good news is it's put us in a good position, so right now we're looking good. Uh, you know, our it is hot, uh, but to give you some facts, you know, yeah. 
uh, we use energy differently today. Uh, when people build new homes or buy new appliances, you passively bought something that's more energy efficiency. People are putting more LED lighting in there. If you buy a new air conditioner system, the SEER ratings are higher on that. So you may not realize this, but our best defense against uh, high-use times like this is energy efficiency. Hmm. And so to give you an example, our peak uh, was set back in August of 2015 and just shy of 3,100 megawatt-hour peak. Uh, we have not crossed the 3,000 mark since 2016. Okay. Now, tomorrow we project to be just shy of that system peak for Entergy Mississippi, not Entergy. Around, uh, right now we're forecasting about a 3,050 megawatt peak okay. tomorrow around 4 o'clock. Uh, so uh, we are, have our systems ready and running. Now, customers can help. You know, uh, we're, not, we're not putting out any requests to customers. But, you know, keep your shades drawn. Run your ceiling fans. If you're not at home, turn your thermostats up to 78. That keeps your home comfortable. Uh, all things like that can help us uh, reduce stress on the grid. All right, so 16, uh, I believe, is what you cited, Haley. So since then, have we – you said we're going to eclipse the threshold that we hit We're going to come close to it. Okay, come close. That's right, right. 305. So the question is, have we increased capacity since then? Oh, yeah, we have 3,500 megawatts of capacity on our grid. Okay. Uh, uh, we've done upgrades to Grand Gulf that have allowed additional – uh, since 2016, we added the Choctaw unit, which is an 800-megawatt unit. Now, we did retire some other units, but sure. there is incrementally more capacity there. We've had the Sunflower facility here recently, 100 megawatts there. Uh, but what we're seeing is greater energy efficiency. For example, um, we rolled out a demand-side management program that customers can enroll in. If you have a Nest thermostat or an Ecobee thermostat, you can enroll. We'll pay you 50 bucks, or if you want to buy it through us, you get 50 percent hmm. off of it and monday and tomorrow any customer enrolled in that you'll get a notification on your device or on your phone saying hey entergy is going to uh, uh implement a demand side response tomorrow at four o'clock okay so if you have your thermostat at home set at say 72 hmm. about an hour before that event we're going to go in and crank it down to 70 chill down your house, and then when the event happens, we'll turn it up to hmm. 77 or uh, three uh, 75, gotcha. and you'll ride through the event. Last year, we had 3,200 customers in it. When we uh, implemented it a number of times, we had a high response, 2,800. This year, that the amount of customers enrolled into is now over 8,000. And when we ran it Monday, uh, just over 5,000 stayed in. How you opt out, when we turn it up or down, as soon as you go up there and turn that dial, you opted out. Okay. Got you. Makes sense. Right. All right. So you you mentioned Grand Gulf a minute ago, nuclear plant. Mm Any plans to ever have another nuclear facility in the state? I mean, it just seems like we had not done any of that in this country. Well, one of the interesting things that I've seen happen, and I've been in this business 28 years, and for so long this country, after Three Mile Island in the early years, turned its back on nuclear. Yeah. 
Now, as we've deployed more renewables and as they've looked at more sustainability, everybody's starting to say, well, the largest uh, 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 generator of electricity in our country that does not emit greenhouse gases yeah, is, is nuclear. Yeah. So we're very surprised and pleased to see this administration in the most recent in, uh, Inflation Reduction Act yep. put $6 billion in incentives out there for new technologies hmm. around that in SMR. So we're monitoring it okay. very closely. We're very interested in it. Uh, and we hope to see more opportunities. There. Okay, but, but we have. I mean, Grand Gulf's Gulf. been a huge success, though. Yeah, and one of the things that's helping us right there in 2016, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission gave us a license extension. Okay. Uh, next year we would be retiring that plant, but because of the extension, we get to run it to 2044, and we've made huge upgrades to that, and that's given making that plant run better and, and producing great value for us. Appreciate you coming in, Haley. Thank Thanks you. A lot. Appreciate yeah. you, Haley Pasakerly, President, and CEO of Intergy Mississippi, has been our guest. Step aside for a break, right here. Coming right back. With Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Well, studio, we appreciate uh, Mr. Fisackerly, president and CEO of Intergy, for joining us. And, you know, the, the takeaway I get out of that, Rhino, like so many other aspects of, of life and society, is, is technology. He shared with me some of the self-healing technology that's being implemented. And he said there was a, a car wreck, for example. I think he said in Greenwood. Hit a pole. And immediately loss of about 400 addresses, service to those addresses. But the self-healing technology kicked in, rerouted, and they were able to cut that to less than half. Well, that concept that's been around in, in the IT world probably 20 years, 25 years, where we had, we call them literally self-healing networks. So, for example, in, on a large scale, let's take fiber rings that would encircle a city. You would design those with the electronics, and that's the part my company used to do, the electronics to terminate all that fiber. We would design those so that they would, in fact, be self-healing, meaning if there's a cut. Typically that happens with construction equipment. That you would cut, but the network would immediately start rerouting the traffic, essentially avoiding the cut. Self-healing. And that would all be done without you even noticing it. The folks monitoring the network would see it, know it, they'd have to take action, because you don't want to stay that way permanently, obviously. you got to go correct it. But now that same technology is being applied to 
the electrical grid and all the deployment of sensor technology, which is all network-based. I mean, that's all that's all digital network-based. Which, if I'm not mistaken, that was first thought of after the, what is it, 77 was the blackout in New York that took out the eastern seaboard? That's right. There was a huge one in New York. It was cascading. That's exactly right. And there, if you go look at it, you can go see photos of the, of the skyline of New York, completely dark. I mean, the entire island and everything. Um, it's, it is incredible. You're right. That's exactly where the, the idea came from. Uh, but but so I, I'm just pointing out that this is just human innovation, solving human problems. And it's because of that, by the way, if, if you picked up on what Mr. Fasakerly said, that even though we're having these huge demands, because it's hot, we're, uh, we're able to accommodate it just by the way that capacity and the demand is allocated uh, with these new technologies. And also just the fact that they got way more timely information, much more timely information about possible failures that you can prevent from occurring just because you're getting notified, uh, lots of actionable data. And that's what all that sensor technology is about. Hey, this ain't looking good here. It's, it's okay for right now. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously uh, playing it up a little bit, but, it, but that's the idea. You get some warning signs that something's going to fail, and you can correct that before it actually happens. So that's all good stuff. I've been paying into Social Security since 1971. Don't think I'll ever draw all I've paid in, says Keith and Vaden. You would be an exception there, uh, Keith, And it, uh, if you look at the data. And it's all based on, of course, how long you're going to live. And there's a common belief, like, of, of my generation, which I haven't been paying in nearly as long as 71, but... Folks in my generation are just of the opinion, yeah, you got to pay it because it's it's on your it's on your pay stub. You got to pay into Social Security, but there's not a whole lot of confidence that it'll still be around in the same way by the time we get to retirement age. I hear the same thing from your generation. I mean, it's a valid concern, uh, but you see, there's little that happens from the people that can fix that problem, solve that problem. You don't see much action in that respect. We just have that on a much smaller scale here with PERS. Same sort of deal. Somebody did ask a question about uh, the difference between, we refer to it maybe rather uh, liberally, the, the difference between the grocery tax and the sales tax. And I apologize for that. What we're referring to is the sales tax on groceries. So they they are still part of the sales tax system. Uh, the proposal that you've seen floated many times is to either eliminate or reduce the sales tax on uh, consumable grocery-type items, and there's a definition of what would qualify for that. So I apologize for maybe conflating that there, but it's just kind of shorthand. Mississippi needs to go back to inspection stickers for roads and pay raises for police officers, says Eric in Philadelphia. Well, police officers are, of course, employed by municipalities, and then you've got county-level sheriff's departments and, of course, highway patrol, troopers, or state. So most of that, Eric, is funded by the local entities and the their resources they get there, the uh, dollars that, that they receive from 
mainly in, in municipalities, it's sales taxes. In counties, it's uh, it's ad valorem, it's property taxes. But if you're looking at the raw numbers there, it's been probably a year now since I looked at the registered vehicles in Mississippi. But I want to say it's between 2 and 3 million. So even if every dime from an inspection sticker went towards that, and every car or vehicle had an inspection sticker, you're looking at what, $15 million? Tiny amount of money. Yeah, I would oppose that, honestly. I think it's a good thing we got rid of that. I, I mean, maybe in the days when you had a lot of kind of cobbled-together vehicles that wasn't unusual and vehicles that uh, were more likely to to fail that would that were a safety risk. Modern-day vehicles, and I mean modern-day, last 25, 30 years, that's, that's pretty much been mitigated to a great extent. You know, I have quite the, I mean, you used to re- remember, check the alignment of your headlights, for example. It was kind of crazy. Well, that was what they were supposed to. Right. They had Anybody little, that got an inspection was like, all right, turn your headlights yeah. on. All right, push your brakes. All right, honk your horn. All right, here's your sticker. Yeah, you're you're right. They got a little lax on it. But they actually did have a machine that was supposed to check the beam of the light. Of course, most people today, I would say, you have to get your oil changed. I can't change my own oil. And, uh, I, I mean, I just lack those skills and tools and so forth and and uh, facilities. But you go to a – what I'm trying to say, you go to any oil change service, including an automobile repair dealership, they usually go through that little routine with you. Yeah, it's part of their yeah, sales pitch. Yeah. Of getting you in to do your maintenance with them. Right. And they're going to do the same thing that they did with the inspection sticker, your windshield wipers, your lights, your brakes, your reverse, your horn, all that sort of stuff. So It always cracks me up when I get an oil change. It's like, hey, do you want to change the air filter? I was like, we changed it last time, dude. Right. Chris from Oxford says, unless I'm misguided, PERS is a retirement system that people put into that makes money over the long haul That where they have a retirement to draw out of when they're done teaching. Sounds like that is just like my Roth IRA and mutual funds that I have put into. But why is that my problem? Because PERS is losing money like other investments are losing money. I'm not sure exactly what you're saying there, Chris, but uh, though PERS... Uh, has its the performance of its investments has, has been pretty much consistent with the broader market, but oh, it's a long haul play, right? Just like performance of your four hundred one k plan. If you look at that on any given day or month or year, yeah, you'll see pullback. But over the long haul, honestly, investment in U.S. equities has been a winner. Just has, and even even in um, in certain fixed in income securities, fixed uh, interest-type securities, bonds. So uh, why is that my problem? Well, it's Chris, it's because part of the, the deal, the, the contract with those who work in the public sector, was that you would participate as a benefit on top of your compensation in PERS. In general, compensation in the public sector, state employees, etc., typically lower than comparable work in the private sector, but it's always been the benefits that's been the, um, the draw. 
I know lots of people that would would tell you that. Yeah, I, I chose you know the public sector because I I find that to be a higher priority. It just depends. But well, that uh, makes more sense. See, chimed in and said he was referring to Thomas talking about taking money out of the lottery. Oh, I'm for sorry. Person. I'm sorry, Chris. I got you. Well, I, again, guys, math's important here. We're talking about tens of millions versus billions. The purge problem is a billions problem, and the lottery is a tens of millions. But, but there's no look. You could also argue, Thomas, that maybe we ought to take all this surplus money that we've produced the last couple of years and and transfer that over to PERS to help shore up the funding. There, we're coming right back. Final segment of middays when we return. Mississippi, it's so awesome. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. On Super Talk Mississippi. You're as cold as ice. You're willing to sacrifice our love. You never take advice. Someday. be the great Lou Graham, the lead singer of Foreigner. What a great voice. That was one of the early tunes there from the 70s, 77, 78 time frame, something like that. Maybe a little before that. 77? 77. I had it. Uh, Mike from Grand Bay, Alabama says, I've been paying Social Security since 72. And whoever sent you that text there, if they would look at their statement online, it tells you how much you paid in. In my case, four or five years, I'll get more out than I paid in. That's that's right, and that's the typical scenario. Here's the thing, Mike. Uh, Medicare is even more upside down. It is estimated that the average Medicare recipient receives about $350,000 more then they paid in plus return on investment, which is interest in the investments they make there. Um, and that's why it's going broke quicker than Social Security. It's it's on a much more rapid uh, pace to become to not be able to pay benefits. They say that by 2028, it would only be able to pay the social, uh, pardon me, the Medicare trust fund and income into Medicare only be able to cover. Part A benefits, not B and D. D is a prescription drug. A is hospitalization. B would be clinical-type, typical services. So, yeah. And is anybody talking about it? No, because if you do, then Joe and Corrine Jean-Pierre and Bernie Sanders and the like just go ballistic and blame it on MAGA Republicans. They want to do away with your Social Security and your Medicare. No, we want to talk about it so we can fix it and preserve it for future generations. You're politicizing it. Of course you are. And your solution is just absolutely shake down the top 1% in the country so they can pay for everything. That makes me so mad. Larry and Ma says that 
I know you don't think Dr. John Witcher has a chance, but I think you're going to be surprised next Tuesday. I asked him about his prediction. He says Witcher will win by 55%. So we've got three Republicans, I believe, in the race, right? We've had them all on the program. Mr. Hardegree, John Hardegree, Dr. John Witcher, and, of course, the incumbent Tate Reeves. Larry, I believe that the governor will get 70%, 75% in the primary. So we'll, uh, we'll certainly be watching that, and we'll talk about it on Wednesday. That ought to be fun to review. That is interesting. Uh, Jeff and Forest County companies used to have profit sharing, which was a big help for retirement. You don't say that anymore. Yeah, companies have... You're wrong about that, Jeff. What companies have? Companies are, used to have pensions. Now they have profit sharing. That's right, um, and and not all, but what a lot of companies do have is uh, they'll have stock options, stock grants in some cases. And in fact, by the way, folks, when you see all the left uh, that that where they really just attack CEO pay, just keep in mind that when they cite those numbers, it's not cash. The vast majority, in fact, are stock options or stock grants. The difference is an option is you get a discounted price to buy the stock. A grant is here you have you some stock. Here's the deal, though. I've had to do this in my company. Stock grants, meaning I'm going to give you some shares of stock, that's a taxable event. Guess what? Unless you sell a stock, you got to come up with the cash to pay the taxes on the value of the grants. And whenever I would do that in my company, give grants to employees, I'd have to give them cash money to pay the taxes. Because they'd say, don't give me any grants, Gerard. I don't have the money to pay the taxes. Not all, but some. Is that not ridiculous if you think about it? So we'd literally have to say, here, and by the way, we'd have to give them enough cash to cover the taxes and the taxes on the cash. You see what I'm saying? That's insane. Totally insane. So, Jeff, you're wrong about that, but I'm not surprised. And why is I'm mad at DeSantis on this too? Why? Why is just attacking private businesses and corporate America? You know, if you don't like it, quit giving them your money. I mean, they always attack these companies, and, and in this case, it's like they're just the bane of society. You know, the ones that produce all this stuff that make life better, more convenient. Make us healthier, safer, more productive, produce wealth, give us jobs. This is just constantly attacking the golden cow. That doesn't mean they're perfect, that they're not subject to criticism. Heck, we do that here as well. But in general, it's a pretty dang good system. The alternative is the government runs your life, and you work for the government or something to that extent, or they centrally plan the entire economy. That's what they want. We're out of here today, back tomorrow. Until then, stay safe, and God bless everyone. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.